I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much product was being sourced overseas and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that were still making in Britain. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in the UK, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be telling the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and manufacturers and offering advice to those that want to make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Welcome to episode four of the Make It British podcast. Today I'm interviewing Joe Ashburn Afar, who runs a social enterprise and manufacturing business in South Wales called Reg Dragon Flag Makers. Now, Joe's story is a very interesting one because where she's based is in the valleys in Wales that was decimated in the 90s and beyond when. Companies like Marks and Spencers and Burberry closed all the factories that they had in that area. And Joe tells us quite a lot in this interview about the impact that that had on the people working in the communities around her. But she's done some amazing work of bringing those communities back together again. And I think you're going to love her story. Please do bear with me on the sound. There's a little bit of a sound issue with Joe's um, audio here. I hope that my editor has managed to sort it out because it really is worth listening to what Joe has, has got to say. And hang in till the end as well because she's got some real gems for any manufacturer or anyone about how she picked up some amazing business through social media. So if anyone thinks that manufacturers shouldn't or don't need to use social media, they listen need to listen to the end of this interview with Joe. Right, I hope you enjoy this. Let's go to the interview. Right, hello Joe. Thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. Thanks for asking, Katie. You're my first female manufacturer on the show. Woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> okay, no pressure. <laughs> Um, before we get onto the subject of female manufacturers, because I think it's a topic we definitely need to cover, um, do you want to tell me a little bit about your business and how it all came about? Um, okay, so um, we, we're a social enterprise and a manufacturing business in South Wales. Um, it started with my dad in uh, 50 years ago. He was a manufacturer um, of flags. Um, and the first lot he made was for the investiture of Prince Charles at Carnarvon Castle. And um, 50 years on, we've just been asked to make the um, reproductions of them. Um, oh, brilliant. For the Crown Series 3. So it just shows that the, the, the subject matter of flags, which is not the sexiest of subjects, is actually quite, has quite, got quite a lot of sort of longevity. Yeah. Um, so he started doing that um, back in the day when manufacturing was really a core industry in the South Wales Valleys as a, uh, alongside coal mining um, and farming. And um, he, he employed most of the women whose husbands were down the pits. Um, so, you know, he had a thriving business and, and, and thousands of people over the years worked for him. But as manufacturing um, went to Morocco and then to the Far East, um, it became harder and harder, obviously. Um, but fast forward, in 2008, his business re uh, closed down when he retired. Um, and I was um, a graduate manufacturing my product, Nunu, which is a 
eco-ethical, sustainable textile product range for children. Um, I was manufacturing that in Vietnam. And <laughs> I hadn't been able to find anyone in the UK. Yeah. Um, and I went over there literally with a credit card um, and I stumbled across a group of women um, who were supporting um, women who had been um, abandoned effectively. Um, so I decided to rent a building, as you do, um, buy some machines, as you do, and ask them to try and make my Nunu product, which they did. And basically, that's when Nunu was born. Uh, it was made in this ethical manufacturing premises out there. Um, and um, it was it was live for about six, seven years. Um, and in the meantime... I was doing other things, but dad's business had closed. And I just decided to bring the whole thing back to Wales. Um, so I closed. What made you decide to do that? What was the tipping back, point? Bring it back to Wales. Yes. Um, because the tipping point probably was because for a long time I was a single mum and I wanted my son to play rugby for Wales. And I know it sounds really flippant, <laughs> but I, I wanted to come home. Um, I'm, I mean, I'm a valley girl through and through. And I just, you know, you spend your whole life trying to fit in somewhere. Um, and I was always surrounded by people with um, the law degrees and the, the doctorates and what have you. And it, ha- it bears no interest for me at all. I'm very much a, a very pragmatic, very sort of practical, do it and then talk about it kind of person. I, I you know, it's, it's like... Um, Looking at a recipe, I look at the picture and I know how to do it rather than looking at the, this is what you do and the procedure. So for me coming home and wanting to restart dad's business and merge the information that I'd kind of learnt on the ethical manufacturing side. And that's why I decided to come back to, to Swansea to bring my son up here and also to have a manufacturing business that was focusing on social profits very long convoluted explanation but the, the fact of the matter was that I just I think you always go home ultimately to where you're most comfortable and I knew that there was an untapped source of talent here yes um, yeah so know, whereabouts are you in South Wales so we're in a village called Clidach which is just outside Swansea um at the foot of the valleys basically um and we our staff tap uh we tap into our staff from that whole region um uh, they, you know, people who majorly experienced but lost their jobs and had to go and do cleaning instead. Yeah, because that was a that was an area where Marks and Spencers had a lot of factories, didn't they? So Marks and Spencers were about three valleys away in Porth, um, and they were manufactured by Dewhurst, and then there was Burberry's, and see, Burberry's was it, Burberry's built an entire town around itself. So you had, um, just like Tata Steel has Port Talbot, Burberry had Port in that area. And when they decided to go to Hong Kong, it decimated the area and people were left without any hope of employment. And ironically now, Hong Kong didn't work. So they came back and they've now opened a majorly new tech um, manufacturing facility in Leeds, um, supported by the British government. But meanwhile, we've still got all these people in the Welsh Valleys who have no means of employment. So um, for me, it's about education, about teaching the skills, which when I started manufacturing back here, realized that um, skills were dying with the aging population. So 
um, the manufacturing that we do is, you know, you have to produce a really good product, which we do. But then make into the mix of that, we train people to, 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 to have the skills to be able to work for us or other people. And I've written an apprenticeship in manufacturing, which I'm doing with the local college, so that people actually have an accreditation. There's no glass ceiling anymore on manufacturing. And I'm just pushing really hard to bring back that culture to, to the South Wales Valleys. Brilliant. So you're actually set up as a social enterprise, aren't you? Can you explain how that works in terms of a manufacturer like yourself? So first and foremost, we're a manufacturer. Um, you know, you can't, if you haven't got a good product, you, you haven't got a business. So we, we um, make a world-class product um, and we, we custom make things. So we don't produce things on a production line. So we don't have repetition. We don't put the same thing together day after day. We are very much the niche market of custom products. So we can chop and change. And the whole point of the training is that we, we train people with the same skills across the board so we never have a weak link. And into the mix of that is the social enterprise element, which is that we take people who perhaps didn't have an education or perhaps are in the aging population, the silver, the silver workers, who um, they don't want to go back to college. They've got these amazing skills and they just know how to do it instinctively. So the, the social enterprise element of it is that all the money that we have and that we generate from our brilliant product that we sell anyway goes back into them. Right, so almost like a cooperative sort of setup. No, because it's only us on our own. We right. the cooperative is much more about bringing in lots of different people to teach. We're, we're we're unique in that we train on the job, and we give opportunities within, and we take people who've been in prison or who've been. Um, I don't oh, know. I see. Yeah. She's all been homeless, but also people from college, but also people who are the aging population. I, I actually don't. Um, I don't really care where someone comes from. If they walk in the door and they've got the right attitude, yeah, yeah, then that's for me. That's that's enough. So we don't have <clears throat> we don't have rows of people who are clones at all. We have weird and wonderful, and they're amazing because they value what they've got. Yeah, they exactly. Because we've trained them and they're not allowed, they're not let loose on anything until they've passed our in-house training, they just, their loyalty is there and they produce an amazing product. And actually, every time we send something out, it has their individual name on it. Does it? That's fantastic. Yeah. So that's great. Made by, if you have a problem with it, please call us. So someone will call, it very rarely happens, but if somebody rings and asks for, I don't know, ask for Fitz or Mia or something, then she's the one that deals with. So that's the whole training is about enabling people to actually take responsibility for what they're making. Yeah. And how long does it take to train them up from when so, they first come in if they've never sewn before? So we, we have a program called the eight stage training, which is EST. So eight stages is specifically called stage because it doesn't, it could take eight days or weeks or months or hopefully not years, but, but that we have, it's a very, um, it's, it's a, a process by which you start at the deep end and then you learn how to swim the hard way. And it's all, it, it teaches you how to do really complicated stitch patterns, um, conformity, uh, uniformity, quality. Um, so it's down to the individual. So we, 
our trainer now is one of the youngest people in the business. She's been with us four years. Mm. And when she started, she didn't even know how to turn the machine on. And oh, she had, so she, well, four years on, she is now the trainer. And she trains people twice her age. And she's amazing because she understands. Um, and so the training, that's what we do. To be able to, anybody coming to business has to do that. And then they can go on to the apprenticeship if they want to. And it's a job for life. That's what we're trying to create. I was going to say, I mean, have you got some of the people working for you that were in your dad's business originally? Yeah, I've got three, which is and a what, bit weird. How long have they been there? Right, so Anne is 70 and she, um, she was working for dad from the late 70s. So, she's, so she comes and does... Um, you know, she's got her own machine. It's, there's Anne's oh, really? corner. Oh, yeah. It's all very territorial. But <laughs> she's cute and she's grassroots and we learn a lot from her. And she always says, well, back in the day, this is what we did. And then we go, like, well, we're not doing that because we she <laughs> And then we've got... Um, Dad always used to engage a lot with the, um, the uh, communities that were a bit sort of separated from mainstream. Hmm. So we of Bengali ladies who are I mean they've all got children who are all educated and university and doctors and whatnot but they're very kind of like traditional Bengali ladies who are just they're on fire I mean literally (laughs) and they're so clever and they're so lovely to have around and they literally you give them something they don't question it they show you how a better way to do it they power through it and they're part of the team we have a real mix, a wonderful mix of people. We're not, we don't pigeonhole people. Yeah. So now let's get on the topic of you being a woman running a factory. And I find in all of the last few years and all the manufacturers I've been to visit, there are so few women running factories. There's a lot of women working in clothing factories, but there's very few women running them. How have you kind of broken that mould? Um, um, how do you think it, it's it makes a difference if you've got a woman running a factory. Because I have to say, in my experience, when I've been to factories that are run by women, they look to be much more efficient. <laughs> yeah, well, don't tell anybody else that. Because, <laughs> um, I think, obviously, I, I, I do, I have been told several occasions that I'm a bit of a chip off the old block. Um, I'm also six foot one and um, quite loud. So I think it's kind of, I think if you're a bit of a wilting violet, it probably, wouldn't necessarily work. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm the first person to take the mic out myself. I don't take myself too seriously. And when I'm, when I'm at work, um, I, you know, I, I'll make the coffee, I'll sweep the floor. I don't care. I'm not, I'm not so big for my boots that, and I always answer the phone and, um, you know, I don't think you should ever put yourself in a position where you think you're superior to other people. And I think that's why it worked because, I really value my colleagues' opinions. They don't work for me, they work with me. I think that's the first thing. It helps that my name's Joe, so when customers don't really know who, whether they're corresponding with a man or a woman. Um, but I genuinely think it's just a way of working that's, um, I'm not aggressive, but I'm quite forthright. I'm quite, we, this isn't good enough, we have to do it, you know, or, you know, and, and when I'm talking to, I think there's, I think there's more discrimination, if that's the right word, or difficulty from the supply chain, because the supply chain 
um, what, what they don't understand, it's like retailers. Retailers don't seem to understand that you sell something in your shop, somebody has to make it. <laughs> they also have to make a living. So actually, by the way, if you tick your suppliers off and your manufacturer, if you haven't got a business, okay, so that's, that's, that's a really good kind of... So we, Nunu used to sell into John Lewis for two and a half years and then Phoenix. It sold all over the world, eight distributors, states to Japan, everywhere. And, and the reason it did that is because I didn't make it complicated. And I think that's what women do. Um, I think we're not afraid to take risks because actually, well, I personally don't feel I have anything to prove to anybody because the only people that matter to me are the people I work with because, um, you know, we just have, we, we just do, a, we just do great things. I'm not, we're not doing it to impress anyone. We're doing it because we make a really good product and we love what we do. Um, and we try and make it as unnerdy as possible. Perhaps a man in a business, looking at what dad did, you know, he would also be the person to stay the latest and be sitting there trimming with, with the Bengali ladies who bribe him with all the, the, the yummy food that they've made the night before. I think if you put yourself, whatever gender you are, you put yourself, you separate yourself too much from your workforce, I think you lose them. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's so true. I, and I don't sit in a big, I don't sit in the big office. Well, I actually they put me in an office and shut the door. And say, Can you just go away? Because <laughs> I'm always, I love being on the, I love being on the factory floor. Yeah, and then, that's brilliant. I love that because because I don't because I just want to know what's going on. I then end up writing stuff and doing stuff at home, and I can I'm really good at multitasking. So, you know, you're kind of ironing with one hand and reading something with another. <laughs> oh, I'm the same, exactly the same. Yeah. But I, just, I don't know what it is. I don't genuinely don't think being a woman for me is an issue. Yeah. Um, because actually when you get the client, when the clients ring you, they, first of all, are really, they, I think the days have gone when if a woman answers the phone, you automatically think she's a secretary. Yeah, I, 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 so, I, so I answer the phone and they go, you know, they, they're telling me what their pain is and I'm finding a, 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 a cure for that pain. Yeah. And I think the way that um, I personally speak to people is that I don't, um, I just try and make people feel comfortable and slightly take them out and try and be humorous about things. And um, it just calms people down. Then they're not on the defensive. And then what at the service that you're giving them, whether it's making something or helping them, is very much that they realise that it's a genuine, it's a genuine personal service. Yeah. So you mentioned Prince Charles at the beginning. You've obviously made some flags for some pretty impressive people. Who who is the most interesting client you've ever made a flag for? Wow. Well. Um, so when we when we so dad dad made flags for everyone from the palace to the I mean you know but the, our business our bread and butter business is you know Mr Smith who's got a boat in the marina who needs a little burgee those are our bread and butter so we treat someone with a big budget as much as the person with a little budget because at the end of the day the one with a big budget it's not their personal money so when so if the palace contacts us or it, we did the NATO summit in 2014, 2014, no, was it 2012, 2012, Foreign and Commonwealth Office approached us. And actually that came about by a tweet. So the story goes that 
um, we were watching the NATO summit and eight million pounds being spent on fencing and security and all this. And I sent a cheeky tweet at 11 o'clock one night, three weeks before the event, saying, um, so who's making your flags then? <laughs> I hope they're made in the UK. The next morning, I got a call from the Foreign and Commonwealth Office saying, shit, we forgot. <laughs> really? I kid you not. I kid you not. Three I weeks before, they had... They knew that they had to have flags, but they kind of forgot to arrange it. But so we just started at that point. And I just sat down with the girls and I said, look, you know, what I can bribe you, uh, whatever it takes. You know, how much, how many hours can you work? Does <laughs> can you granny so? You know, and um, and they, we, we got the contract be purely because I sort of had the, the, the chutzpah to, to contact them. And I, I drove to Celtic Manor and had a coffee with, with the purchase, and she said, You are going to be so saving my rear end if you do this. Brilliant. And so I milked it, obviously, and um, <laughs> and that was that was just amazing. But then also for the jubilee and for because we were already selling into John Lewis. Oh God, but that was a storming year for you, twenty twelve, was it? With the jubilee, so I, went, I went to John Lewis the year before, and I said, "You do realise that there's no mainstream uh, retailer selling traditional made, British made, sewn flags." You can go to B&Q and get like something for a fiver, but it lasts five minutes, but as an investment piece. And they went, oh yeah. And I said, well, don't you think we should make them for you? And they said, that's a really good idea. So that's what we did. So, um, so from a point of view of what's the most amazing customer, we make stuff for TV and films all the time. Mm. We're just making stuff for, we made stuff for Downton at the movie recently. Um, we're doing stuff for, well, Crown Series 3 we've just done, which is the reenactment of uh, the investiture of Prince Charles at Carnarvon Castle. So on your screen soon. Um, we did, we did, we've made hundreds of Nazi banners, which makes your skin crawl, but they yeah. burn them. And then when they have to reshoot the film, they have to have them made again. <laughs> and then they burn them again. <laughs> so you've got to see the kind of good side of it. But we're quite happy to make them, but we do give them a rider that they have to be burnt or disposed of. Um, and then as far as products go, um, you know, we, we got the contract recently for the North Pacific Fisheries Commission, which coincides with the fact that British forces are training for the first time in Japan. So someone in Japan suddenly decided they need flags from Britain. So we now got the contract. Great. Well, yeah, the Japanese do love a British-made product, don't they? So it's kind of, and, but the way that people find us is not because we're a social enterprise, but because we have conversations. So as a manufacturer, I think it's really important to engage. I think it's really important to not, for me, I wouldn't necessarily hire someone in to do my talking for me. You know, we, we're really active on, on, I get all the staff to be active on social media, pictures and anecdotes and stories and fun stuff, because that's what people, they want to engage with that, because the, the subject matter of a flag is not particularly interesting. Mm. That's, so, that's, so, that's so interesting you said that, because I have a lot of manufacturers say to me, oh, you know, I don't want to be on social media, it's for, you know, teenagers and people that oh, they'll no, direct no. to custom to shoppers and it's like no you're a great our business our business is thriving because of social media 
I think we have a really cool website. It's really interactive. It's, we don't actually list many products for sale, but we tell stories. We have conversations about, you know, someone had asked us for this and this is what we had. So, for instance, recently we went, a month ago, I took all the girls up to uh, London and we had tea with the US ambassador in, in the Missile Proof Nine Elms um, embassy. And that came about because they rang me up and said, we need you to make a flag. Obviously, they have to do their due diligence, but we need you to make something for the private quarters of the ambassador. So I said, yeah, no problem. What do you need? Didn't charge them silly money. Um, and then I thought about it, and I rang them up, and I said, um, can we make a thing out of this? And they said, well, what do you think? I said, well, look, we're a social enterprise. I said, I said you'll look really good with a PR if, we, if you're having it made by a British company that's actually rehabilitating people. And they said, well, that aside, why didn't you come up anyway? So we went up, we, we met the ambassador, we had the photo up, we had tea with him in his private quarters. He then sent us a letter saying how awesome it was to meet us and thank you for the Welsh cakes. And then on Twitter, he's saying, what a brilliant company. Oh, that's I mean, a, that you can't beat um, recommendations no, and endorsements like that. Okay. Social media. Yeah, that's fantastic. Joe, you've been absolutely brilliant today. Oh. I must come up and actually oh, visit you in your factory. <laughs> no, I'm not going to stand next to you because I'm only five foot two and you've told me you're six foot one. Yeah. <laughs> but the one question I need to ask you at the end is how is your son getting on with his rugby? <laughs> Um, Zach's nearly 19. He was um, he was the junior Welsh champion for boxing. Uh, uh, so he decided rugby wasn't for him, but boxing no, no, was. No, but he plays rugby too, and he plays for seniors now. Um, he's not going to play for Wales because he's decided that um, he's decided that he wants to earn a living and, and travel first. So there we go. Thanks for us. <laughs> what a great so where can people find you should they want um flags making and i know how well, you've made bunting well, for me before for my trade show and the quality was impeccable so oh, if people you. want a flag or bunting or something like that making where can they find you so all the w's red dragon flagmakers.co.uk um and on there you'll see all the projects that we're doing um another one of which is called roof but that's probably another conversation for another time Brilliant. Thank you very much, Joe. You've been a superstar. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Make It British podcast. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers within the fashion, textiles and homeware sector, you should definitely come to our yearly trade show, Make It British Live. The next event is taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London. There will be over 200 manufacturers, inspiring talks just like those you're listening to on this podcast and interactive workshops. It's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive again. To register to attend, go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register. Or if you're a British-made manufacturer or brand and you want to find out how your business can benefit from being involved in the show, visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit, fill out a short questionnaire and we'll get straight back to you. If you want to reach out to me personally, and I'd love to hear from you, the best place to do that is probably via LinkedIn. Just look up Kate Hills and you'll find me. You can also find me on Twitter at Make It British or on our Facebook page, 
which is facebook.com forward slash make it British. I go live on the Make It British Facebook page every Thursday at 1pm. Do pop on over and say hello and say you heard me on the podcast. To make sure you never miss out on an episode of this podcast, remember to just subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher or whichever is your preferred podcast app. I'd be so happy as well if you left me a little review on iTunes. The more reviews I receive, the more people would discover this podcast and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. To read the show notes for this episode, go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash podcast, where you'll find links to any of the brands or manufacturers mentioned on the show. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye. Bye.